You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages David Burnham presented on The Will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Now, here is David Burnham on Today in the Word Radio. It is always a privilege to be at Moody, the hospitality, the warm heart, atmosphere. Dr. Sweeting is not only a gracious guest, but he provides an example of excellence, scholarship, and a burden for the souls of men. I'm so thankful for this Bible, the Word of God, and then for teachers that God gives to us that can explain the Word of God and equip us. God has given to the Church evangelists and pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, that we might be brought to that maturity to be conformed to the image of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been kind with your open minds and open hearts. May God encourage us today through his word. It was the Jewish philosopher Abraham Heschel who said, to be or not to be is not the question. We all desire to be. How to be and how not to be, that is the essence of the question. How to be, how not to be. To be equipped in the knowledge of the Word of God is to give to us that understanding of the character of God so that we might know God's plan that is demonstrated by the events of occurrence. That which occurs is the will of God. That which is acceptable and pleasing and good is that which gives direction, purpose, and meaning to our life. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The study of God's will. We have seen what it is. We have seen how Scripture reveals that God desires us to know His will. We've observed that there are demands that God would place upon us for reference, for relationship. We have also been able to see something of that acceptable will of God as it relates to lifetime testimony, lifetime decisions, the unique opportunities, and the daily walk. I am confident that it is through the daily walk, the present emphasis, that we are able to see God's hand of giving us unique opportunities. By those obedient days and opportunities, we create lifetime decisions. We have seen in the lifetime potential 
that God has given purpose and meaning to each of us in a wonderfully created design. We talked about a fulfilling marriage. We can talk about meaningful family life. Within that concept, if we were taking a longer series, we would go into the life of David and Absalom. Instead of always looking at the wonderful success stories, because with the life of Isaac and Rebekah, it says, and he loved her all the days that he was able to share with her life on this earth. He loved her. But in the life of David and Absalom, we instead see a man walking, and he is crying, O Absalom, my son, my son, would to God, O would to God, that I could have changed a lifetime testimony. There was no example that David set for his son. There was that lack of consistency in morality. There was the lack of discipline within the family. There was the lack of communication when barriers were broken down and David failed to react. Finally, Absalom rebels. And he cries, Absalom, my son, my son. God would have us give to our children an heritage of our lives by example. He would have us bring into that the discipline of the training of the word of God and the responsibility to God's principles. He would have us communicate. He would have us share with honesty and integrity right where we are. Within that concept of a potential vocation, that would have purpose and meaning. We could look at the life of Joseph. And if you would describe anything concerning that man's life, you would describe a man of integrity, a man of character, a man of character, the character of a God-fearing man who knew that regardless of the situation in which he found himself, that he was to be obedient and to love the Lord as God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and spirit. That the bitterness that so often creeps into a life was removed by the power of God and there was forgiveness even within his family. And God gave him a great career in the political arena. For effective Christian service, we could have studied the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. And there, as you see, a man that describes how he ministered to the church at Ephesus, how that he kept back nothing but that he gave himself. And he said, You know what manner of man I have been among you. The ministry of effective Christian service is not just a performance, but it's a person. The ministry of a person who communicates their life. The Apostle Paul, with his courage, simply was a man who had character on display. That's all that courage is. Character on display. Given the right opportunity, that character of the man of God manifests itself. And he was a servant, effective Christian service, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. But in the will of God, there are some areas that are specifically revealed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the will of God is specifically revealed in such a way that we are reminded to give thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God is specifically revealed in Scripture, reminding us that in everything, when we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good, that passage of Scripture 
is assuming that you have read Romans 8 and that you have also read chapters 1 through 7. For the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 brings us to that great oratorio of praise. It's like a great symphony of praise to our God. And in that oratorio, he gives the opening declaration in that eighth chapter as you hear the strings of the heart of creation and mankind groan and you hear the deep bass strong notes that declare that man is groaning, waiting for adoption. And as you read through that eighth chapter, you come then to the tremendous staccato announcement of the trumpets as they blare forth that we have been adopted and we have been made sons by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then there's the movement of the strings as they lilt into the higher ranges and lift us up with the wings of prayer and remind us of the privilege that we have to enter into his presence. God brings together then that great oratorio in that statement, What shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? There is nothing in heaven or on earth. There is no created being. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Early on a morning as I stood in a hospital room where my father would face an open heart surgery, and from that surgery, he would not return to this earth in that body. I stood there and I didn't know what to say. And my dad said, son, you don't know what to say, do you? And I said, I don't know what to say. What do you say to someone who put a ball in your hand when you were just a little guy and showed you how to throw it and showed you how to run? showed you how to live. What do you say to someone who taught you that Jesus Christ could be such a Lord of your life that it was an adventure and that even the ministry was a high calling of God? I didn't have many words. He said, David, I've been reading this morning Romans chapter 8. And he said, what shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And he said, Son, I can live by it and I can die by it. You know, for many years I've remembered that as a great treatise on how to die and thank God for that heritage. But as I've been preaching through the book of Romans and as I came to that fifth chapter and it says that I have learned to rejoice, not just in my concept of my hope, and the courage in death, but I've learned to rejoice in the much more, even through the times of testing and tribulation. I'm learning to say that I not only can die by Romans 8, I can live by Romans 8. And thank God we can give thanks in everything, in everything to give praise unto his name. In the time of testing, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Therefore let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Those who have entrusted their souls to the will of God. In the time of testing we may suffer, but in the will of God we are confident of the character of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, specifically the will of God demands exclusive use. 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Sanctification, that long word simply meaning set apart, but it means set apart for exclusive use. That is not a word of restriction, it is a word of release. When you stand, and I mentioned yesterday about getting married, and someone says to you, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife? And will you give up Rosemary and Barbara and Mary Ann and Dee Dee? Will you give... Is that what you hear in a ceremony? He didn't say that to me. He said, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife? And you say, I do. It wasn't what I gave up. It was that privilege of exclusive use of exclusive relationship. Sanctification in the will of God is that he has exclusive use to the one who's committed their life and soul and being to him. I didn't lose life. I found life. I didn't lose my freedom. I found a freedom. I gave up nothing to give my life to Jesus Christ. I found everything. Colossians 1.9, it is the will of God that I have knowledge. For this cause we also, since we... Since the day we heard it, your love in the Spirit, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Packer's tremendous book on knowing God, it thrills your heart suddenly to simply say that I might know him. That powerful word that describes more than just an intellectual examination, it designs the very being of man, and it gives us our very being of existence to know him, to experience him, to praise him, to understand as he has revealed himself to us, and to live by that power. He has also given to us an encouragement for maturity regardless of our times. Colossians 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you might stand perfect, mature, and complete, filled in the will of God. That you might stand with maturity. The will of God is specifically revealed in Scripture. That we are in the time of testing, to know that God's character is on display, that we are able to give thanks in everything, that we are for his exclusive use, and that his knowledge gives to us the knowledge of himself, that we might be mature. Amy Carmichael, in her tremendous book, Though the Mountains Shake, describes the experience of discouragement in her own life and then encountering Andrew Murray. When she heard Andrew Murray refer to the effect of God in his life and the confidence that God had given him, he spoke about a time so very difficult, and he said this. He said, first, I discovered in the midst of these difficult circumstances that God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this straight place, and in that fact I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love, and he will give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Last, in his good time, he can bring me out again. And how he is the one who knows. Let me say again that I am here by God's appointment in his keeping, under his training, for his time. 
Friends, when you come to that realization in your life, whether you be a young man or whether you be a hundred years old, that you're there, you're here by his appointment, and you're in his keeping, and God is with you, and he promised to not leave you and to not forsake you. Steps to knowing the will of God. Is there a formula? Do you know I'm amazed how that God has given to the body of Christ varieties of manifestations of their gifts? I'm amazed how that God has given to a body not just one hand or one finger, but God has equipped us in a variety of ways. And in the midst of that variety, God has not given a simple pat formula that we can stamp out and say, here is how you know the will of God. But out of a variety of means and demonstrations, God has equipped us to understand that he is performing in our lives that which is good and that we can respond with confidence to the will of God. In the giving of thanks, we first of all give thanks to the word of God and to the fact that we have committed our lives to it. Romans 12 verse 1, I believe, states the first principle in the steps to living the will of God, commitment to the will of God. I beseech you that you make a worshipful act of praise to God and say, God, here is my life. In Romans 6, when it says we are to know and we are to yield, it is a decisive act. And I believe there comes that maturity in a believer's life when he is confident that I not only have Christ as my Savior and that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but I can commit my life in confidence to his character. And I believe it is a decisive period in our life. It is a decisive realization in our life that with maturity it is an act of the will that we commit our lives to the will of God with confidence in the character of God. James chapter 1 verses 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth. That means without reproach. He does not braid, upbraid and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The word of God demands a commitment. The word of God demands that you say, I will follow, and an act of the will, whether you feel like it or not. We talked about the tingles. We talked about areas of circumstances. But whether the conflict of the world is great, whether it's easy, God said we are to be committed. We are to be committed. Then the word of God would remind us that we must be conformed to the word of God. Within that commitment it is to the character of God and the person of God as revealed in his word. All of the areas that we illustrate, whether it be a man writing and landers, whether it be someone wondering about this circumstance, it must all be conformed to the Word of God. Psalm 119, and if you have your Bible, just turn there. You should master this psalm. Psalm 119. I don't have time to go through all of it, but let's just notice a few verses. Verse 2. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies, and that seek him with the whole heart. Verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. 
With my whole heart have I sought thee. Not a double-minded man. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How often have we quoted that? But we have removed it from the commitment to God and his plan for our life and that which is acceptable and good. Verse 24, thy testimonies also are my delight and they are my counselors. Verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge for I have believed thy commandments. Verse 73, thy hands have made me and fashioned me. God, you have given me lifetime potential. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. There's no revisionistic history to the word of God. It is settled. The very character of God that spoke and the heavens were created, it gives testimony to his grace. Therefore, when we glorify God, we praise him for his character. We praise him for his mighty works. We praise him for his word. We praise him for his revealed word. We praise him for his written word. Verse 90. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations, and thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. Verse 98. Thou, through thy commandments, hath made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments for thou hast taught me how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means to present it without perversion. It means to know it in God's intended use. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, adequately equipped for every good work. We have recited it. We know it. But the word of God is that which gives conformity to our life. When someone comes in and says, this circumstance happened, I prayed and God brought someone into my life, but it breaks the standards of God's word. It can't be right. I do not depend on circumstances to learn the word of God and the will of God. I depend upon the word of God and the spirit of God and the commitment that I've made to him to teach me that which is right. The circumstances must conform to the word of God. It's a principle that we must remember and continue to recite. By our conscience, the Spirit of God is able to speak to us. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. It said, the Lord Jesus, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. 
the spirit of truth. We discover that the spirit of truth is to guide us into truth. He convicts the world of sin. Now, how does he do that? When we speak of our conscience, we are speaking of a mind activity. We are speaking of that inward ought, that which is able to make attraction, that which is able to give delight, that which is able to seemingly give fulfillment. We are speaking of a conscience that directs. We speak of the will. We speak of the emotions. We speak of a person who is able to think with the mind, but the conscience is able to bring together that divine ought. Within that ought, it is the Spirit of God himself that bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In Romans chapter 2, it said, Those who say they're without the law are not without the law, for the law is to themselves, and that they show the work of the law written in their own hearts, their conscience bearing witness. That word heart is more than just an aorta valve or a mitral valve. It is referring to the sum of a personality, that which gives identity. And as God brings the mind and the will and the, the emotions into a summation of the ought of that person, he is saying, out of the very spring of your desires, out of the spring of that attraction, out of that spring of appreciation, God is able to bring the teaching of his spirit. And Paul said in Acts chapter 8, the spirit said, did they hear words? We continually say, the Lord told me. What do we mean the Lord told me? When we say that to the world, God called me, the Lord led me. What do we mean by that phrase? We are basically referring not to voices coming out of the heavens. We didn't see any kind of a writing in the sky and this sign, conquer. But instead, it is that ought that God places within us and our being that suddenly there are like eyes opening up. This mind is suddenly now aware where we never thought before. There's a desire that we never understood before. There's a clarification of the ought of our being. What is happening? That is the Spirit of God that is directing and speaking to our hearts and minds. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 23, 1, brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. 24, 16, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before God and before men. How could he say that? By being obedient to the Spirit of God. When we say be filled with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, what are we talking about? We're talking about that inward ought, that inward spring that permeates our life out of the character of what God has created of that new creation. It flows through the tributaries of our mind, our will, our intellect, and then it flows into the rivers of our life. That's what God is saying out of that spring, out of that ought, as the Spirit of God would direct us. Then next, the Word of God would teach us to consider consideration and the will of God. Consideration. That means spiritual, minded, common sense. It means to take that which God has equipped mankind with of understanding and then to give to that not only the understanding of the mind that has been equipped by a marvelous God, but to give to that spiritual understanding. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. 
But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, by practice, have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Maturity means that we have come to the point that we can consider. God's given you a mind to think with. The will of God does not always demand an instant recall coming out of heaven with a printout telling you what you're supposed to do. The will of God means that he's given you a mind to consider, to discern good and evil. How do you know good and evil? The principles of the word of God. Titus 2, 11 and 12. It says that we should live soberly, sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present world. 1 Corinthians 2 said the natural mind doesn't receive this, but the spiritual mind has the mind of Christ. That means we're to observe something. The world may think it's foolish, but it's not foolish. The world laughed when Jericho was going to fall by an army marching around it. If any of you ever took ROTC or in the armed forces, you know that was the most stupid battle plan that was ever given to an army. The children of Israel going up against the walls of Jericho, Joshua goes out, the angel of the Lord gives to him a tremendous battle plan. He comes back to the children of Israel and he says, let's get ready to go. How would you like to have been in that battle plan? Man, I would have had every piece of armor that I had ready. I would have had every bit of my, my, my sword sharpened. I would have been ready. This was the big one. This was the big game they were pointing toward. This was the big area, the huge walls of Jericho. Joshua says, march. Have you ever marched out to a big opponent? Have you ever marched out to any great walls, any great blockade in your life? They came to those walls. They stopped for a moment. They were waiting for this masterful plan of Joshua. What is it, Joshua? What's the secret of our attack? What has God given you that's so unusual? Turn to the right flank and start marching around the walls. Okay, Joshua, now when we get to the side, when do we hit them? Just keep walking. All right, Joshua, I've got it now. We're going to let them have it from the back. They're not going to expect it. Just keep walking all the way around the walls and then we'll return to our camp oh that's great joshua they won't think we're coming back then we'll come back in like a flood no we'll come back tomorrow and do the same thing <laughs> can you imagine as they started marching up to those walls everybody in jericho to those front walls they were ready for the confrontation they come they turn walk to the right everybody to the left wall hurry everybody they all got there they kept marching, back wall, side walls. They walked home. They stayed up all night. They were sure there'd be a secret attack. The next day, same procedure. Third day, same procedure. Fourth, you know. Can you imagine what it would have been like by the fifth day? Guy comes out and he starts marching. And up above, a guy says, you you afraid? You a mama's boy? You afraid to fight? What's Joshua, let me spit at him. Let me do something, Joshua. You ever feel like that in your life? He says, walk, walk, walk. And then on that seventh day, seven times, lift up those trumpets, blow those ram horns, and those walls came down. Oh, it seems so foolish. But it was not foolish to the man of God who was obedient to the word of God. Consideration. That'll determine much of our circumstances. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 was given a vision, and he was turned away from going east, and he was turned to the west. But circumstances are dangerous. Everyone says, well, I'm going to put a fleece out. Do you know that Gideon had already been told of God what he was to do? 
He didn't put a fleece out to find the will of God. He put a fleece out because he didn't believe the will of God. Gideon had already been told that the enemy was delivered into his hand. Circumstances are not to be the only means of determining the will of God. You determine the will of God because you've committed yourself to God's will for your life. That you might glorify him in whatsoever you eat and whatsoever you drink to the glory of God. That purpose in life. Circumstances only aided in bringing some confirmation. The young man that wrote Ann Landers and said, I prayed God's will in my life. And then he said, thank God that he brought a homosexual relationship into my life. He thought by circumstances he had discovered the will of God. But circumstances must be conforming to the word of God. Don't just let circumstances become your guidepost. Make it conform to the word of God and conform to your life purpose of pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I thank God for the circumstances, but Paul said this in Philippians 1.12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And he wrote that speaking of imprisonment, that these circumstances are for the progress of the gospel. What a fantastic confidence he had. And then the next point is that of communion and cleansing. The Apostle Paul knew that regardless of whatever circumstance he found himself in, he could be content because he knew that his communication was still open with God. Psalm 49.3, My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. James 1 told us, If we lack wisdom, let us ask of God and ask believing. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59 says, If there is iniquity and rebellion in our midst, it's not that God's hand is shortened or his ear is heavy. It's because our sins have separated between us and God. Do you want to know the will of God? Within that time of communion, it begins with that cleansing of heart and mind and the use of our body. Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination to the Lord. Last of all, God would give to us that privilege of counsel. I've named a number of things. I believe the first two are vital, that we commit ourselves to the will of God, that we conform to the word of God. When it comes to our conscience, when it comes to circumstances, when it comes to those areas of our communion and we feel those impressions, those desires, those interests, those attractions, remember this counsel. That it must be right in accordance with the Word of God. God never counsels us. God never directs us to do that which is wrong. He never tempts us to do evil. It is right. Secondly, it will remain. It will not just be a passing fancy. I remember my dad telling me every time we had a special meeting, I'd dedicate my heart to the Lord and God, and he would say, David, let's see how you feel about it tomorrow morning. I'm so thankful for your heart tonight, but let's see how you feel about it tomorrow morning. Amazing how it would go away when the school pressures would come or other interests would come. But when God is speaking to our heart, the Word of God that is settled forever, it remains, and the Spirit of God burns within our heart. And then I have one third R. And that is that it's resourceful. 
When the Spirit of God directs us, He equips us for that task. There's surety of response. There's surety of mission. There's confidence of purpose. There is contentment in the will of God. There is peace. And the counsel that God would give us, Proverbs 11, verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Therefore, God has given to the church evangelists, pastor, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. He has equipped us with the counseling of his word and the ministry of teaching and edification. In Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Well, we can say those are steps and a variety of means that God may use a combination of those for your life or for mine. But is there an illustration that we could give in the Word of God that might encourage some of us today? Yes, I believe there is. Jeremiah chapter 1. Notice this summary of the life of Jeremiah. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I am a child, I cannot speak. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And the Lord put his, forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have set thee this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, to plant. Purpose in life, relationship with God, knowing the counsel of God. Jeremiah, I have called you to be a man of God and a prophet, a spokesman for God. Oh, Jeremiah became that weeping prophet, the man of the broken heart to a people that were rebellious. Wouldn't it be a wonderful story to read of this man who was to root out, to pull down, to plant, obedient, yes, by the will of God. He served by the will of God regardless of his times. He preached the word. One day God said to him, Jeremiah, I want you to take a clay potter's vessel. And I want you to take it to the edge of the city, and I want you to lift it up. And as the people gather around you, I want you then to throw it down and break it. And then when they observe that illustration, I want you to say that if they disobey my word, I'm going to break them, just like that. Jeremiah did it. And when he got finished, Pashur, the captain of the temple, comes to him, slaps him in the face. They put him in stocks. Suddenly, Jeremiah in his heart begins to consider, wait a minute, God, you called me. God, I did just what you told me to do. God, I preached your word that it was inerrant. God, I was faithful to your doctrine. And then look what happened. The religious leader slapped me in the face. Look at me, God, I was made a mocking stock in the city. God, if you're going to play that way, I quit. Jeremiah considered saying, if I stop mentioning his name again. That's a prophet. A man called of God considered quitting. Have you ever considered quitting? 
Have you ever considered stopping, getting out of school, get out of the ministry, get off the mission field? You will. It'll come. Jeremiah said, but as I considered that, it was like a burning fire in my heart. His word, the name of that God, burned in my heart, and I could not keep quiet. Elijah had run away, and it wasn't the fire. It wasn't the mountain shaking. It wasn't the wind that turned Elijah around, but a still, small voice and the Word of God will burn in your heart. That Word of God that demands that we conform to His will says it's too soon to quit. I came in my life to a time of leaving the ministry. I graduated from college. My father was sick. I went back to aid him for a while. And I discovered in one year that I didn't know how to minister. I didn't know how. There were unkind things said. I was becoming a hermit. I was running off of the platform, hiding. People were saying things about me. People were hurting my feelings. Some were not understanding. I had given up a pro contract. Didn't they know what I had given up to come serve them? I'd been drafted by the Washington Redskins. And that football had become a security. And as the year went on, I became embittered in my heart. When I spoke again to that coach, I determined that I would leave the ministry. I wasn't going to work with a board that called me some kind of a, a collegiate, sophisticated snot. I wasn't going to have to sit and listen to somebody think I was making too much money. I could have made more money in a pro contract than I made in five years of preaching. I went back to my college to get my grades, to transfer, and to go to med school and pray, play pro football. And I came back to get those grades, and I walked by a president's office, and thank God his door was open. And he said, hello, David. He said, what are you doing here? Oh, boy, I wish I hadn't seen him. And I said, I'll just tell you, I'm here to get my grades because I'm leaving the ministry. He said, sit down in my office just a moment. And that man of God shared with me how that in his own life he had nearly quit serving the Lord and nearly given up. Then he turned to me and he said, David, David, God has called you to preach and it's too soon to quit. The problem is yours. And I knelt down by a chair and I discovered something. You see, I thought what people owed me. I kept thinking that the ministry is something they owed me. I hadn't seen that it was I had to give myself. I hadn't become a servant. I hadn't, God said, here's my life. I knelt there and I said, God, I can't be a pastor. But, oh, God, help me. And men and women, I want to tell you it's too soon to quit. I want to tell you that the Word of God will burn in your heart, that it's too soon to quit, that regardless of what is said in times, it's not their problem. It must be my problem. God, my purpose is to please you and to present my life to you. Oh, God, help me. When I am weak, it's too soon to quit. Our Father, speak to our hearts in such a way today that you'll encourage young men and young women, faculty members, staff, and those that serve this great institute to know that we do thy will, O Lord God. We do thy will. May we do it with excellence. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and God.
Amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message titled A Commitment to the Will of God that David Burnham presented at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. We invite you to join us next week as we bring you four messages Chuck Colson presented at MBI's Founders Week Bible Conferences between 1981 and 2003. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.